Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. So they are present in every generation since the day that it was invented. Whether you watched it in black or white or in full color. Anybody remember that transition? I'm old enough to remember that transition there. We sit around and they become the mainstays of our airways. Let me, let me see if I can name some of them that might resonate with you. This will definitely uh, demonstrate your age as we walk through this. Leave it to Beaver. Andy Griffith. Happy Days. Laverne and Shirley. Mash. The Brady Bunch, the Partridge Family, Good Times, Different Strokes, Welcome Back Carter, Cheers, Saved by the Bell, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, The Nanny, Full House, The Cosby Show, uh, Family Matters, Frasier, and now Blue Bloods, or This Is Us, or Blackish. Or The Last Man Standing. All of these shows have a couple of things in common. Number one, they are all sitcoms, right? But they, they share another characteristic that I want to point out to you that uh, is evident. Regardless of the race of the characters, regardless of the socioeconomic status of the characters, regardless of their occupation, they are all similar in this one fact. They all revolve around Circles. Circles of family members, circles of co-workers, circles of classmates, or circles of friends. We cannot escape the fact that circles are all around us. Circles have invaded our entertainment. Circles surround We instinctively seem to understand that we need uh, circles and that our circles determine the course of our life and that our friends determine our future. And as we're saying during this season, those that matter most are those that are those that are closest to us. Those that are close matter most. We seem to know that. Since we know that uh, these circles are vital, that they're critical and they're paramount for us, we seem to, uh, to know that, but we must also understand the function of circles. Because if we don't understand the function of circles, then abuse or, or misunderstanding is inevitable. And so we began to talk about this last week, and we began to talk about the fact, and I wrote this out again. I wanna, I'll probably use this every week, so I hope it'll get down into your spirit, because I think it's true. I think if we don't understand the purpose and the function of circles, then this is what happens. We never fully tap into or harness the benefit of a circle or we exit or sabotage the circles available available to us because we're unwilling to pay the price of transparency, vulnerability, and submit to accountability that is necessary for the circle to be meaningful. And the result is we either suffer in isolation while we call it independence or we hop in and out of circles and groups and churches looking for fruit that we so desperately desire and even envy but we never seem to recognize that this fruit can only be obtained and only be secured through intentional and long-term investments of time so that when we're not willing to do that in times of need and in times of pain and in times of distress we begin to blame everybody who doesn't seem to respond and we begin to say this about them they're shallow 
They're uncaring. And we never recognize that because we're not in the circles and they're not functioning properly, that we will never taste the fruit of response. And so then we begin to wonder why our relationships lack the roots necessary to sustain us. So if we can understand the purpose and the way that circles are supposed to operate, then we will also begin to have appropriate expectations of those circles. Um, Listen, if the circle doesn't provide these things, then we must either demand and develop it in our circles or then we must have a heart-to-heart with ourselves and look for a different circle. Right, So we've got to do a circle check. So I informed you that uh, right in plain sight in Scripture, there are 59 different and distinct one another statements giving us circle coaching. They, these statements teach us how our circles, how our relationships are supposed to function. And, and, and at closer examination, I discovered that all of these statements can be clustered into six orbiting um, components, if you will, that, that orbit one main component. So if you've got your card, if you were here last week, hopefully it's already filled in the center one, the one that is the core component. If you don't, there should be one on the seat around you. Grab it and fill in the center component. I said last week um, that, that th- this center component uh, is necessary. It's love one another. Now, I also warned you that during this series, what you would do is you begin to ask this very appropriate question. You would begin to ask this question, is my circle doing this for me? But if we're not careful, what we will not do is ask the equally important question, which is, am I doing this for my circle? All right, so we said that the central core of our circles must be that we love one another. In fact, um, out of that list of 59, 17 different and distinct occasions were commanded to love one another. 28% of the list is this command to love one another. And I tell you again that if the, that the other six components that we're going to begin to look at today, they are impossible if we don't love one another. In fact, can I just be honest with you this morning? Even if we do love one another. Even if we do uh, have this deep, devoted love that Scripture declares that we will need, it will not be easy. So we must rely on love. Some of the folks that we try to circle up cannot provide these other components because they do not have this love for, for us and us for them that is necessary. So, so I figured um, if we're going to start talking about these other components, that this is the way we ought to proceed. Uh, I've said we've got to love one another, so I just figured we might as well start like this. Let's just deal with the most difficult one first. Let, let, let's just get it right, right off the bat when we're all pumped up about this. Yeah, we love one another, Pastor. We, we love, we're devoted to one another, Pastor. Yeah, we, we, we're in this. Then let's deal with the most difficult one. Let's see just whether or not we can do this for one another The first one is this. The first orbiting component commanded in the circle coaching statements is this. Confess and forgive. I didn't get any help. I knew it. I knew it because we don't like this part. Uh, So let me just fill you in on this. On five different occasions in these scriptures we are instructed how to handle each other in our most fragile and broken and vulnerable conditions and situations. Uh, one of the best indications of whether or not your circle is 
appropriately and effectively operating is whether or not you are able to get to this instruction and pull it off. Most relationships can barely handle the successes of our circle mates, let alone the failures and the faults of our our fellow circle members. We struggle here. That's why I want to remind you again that 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 that I read to you last week says this, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. This is tough stuff. It's hard to deal with this part right here. Most of us can't get to the other ones because we can't get through this one. So I, 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 I want to give you, show you the circle commands. Uh, here they are. Romans chapter 14, verse 13 says this, Stop passing judgment on one another. Uh, it reads in full. Let, so let's stop condemning one another. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. He's dealing with forgiveness, confession and forgiveness. He, he goes on, or the Ephesians writer in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 follows this up. And he says it like this. This is another one of the five. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Are you all here this morning? Okay, uh, so now we move on. That, that's the second one. The third one we don't like too much because this is what happens. It's in Colossians. The problem is, is it comes after the writer of Colossians makes this big long list of stuff. And he says this. He lists sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He's talking about getting rid of all those. Then he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. And then the writer says this. Here it is, Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another. After he mentions all these things, he says, don't lie to one another. What's he talking about? He's trying to get us to be honest about the struggles that we have with these old lifestyle, old attitudes, old practices and habits. He literally comes on right after that and he says, don't lie about this stuff. He he knew that we would get together in a setting like this and what we would do is we'd try to fake it. We, We would put on our masks literally and figuratively. And we would try to convince everybody that we come into contact with on a Sunday morning that we're perfect and that we don't have any struggles and that we don't have any issues and we don't have any sins and we don't deal with sexual immorality and we don't deal with impurity and we don't deal with lust and we don't deal with evil desires and we don't deal with greed and we don't deal with anger and we don't deal with idolatry or rage or malice or slander or filthy language. And he's trying to get us, he says, don't lie to one another. Put up, put, don't put on this holy act and lie to make your other circle members think that you've got it all together. Then he immediately follows that up with this instruction, which is the fourth one, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Make allowances for one another's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You don't hear this much anymore because we don't like this stuff. Let's just show up at Passion on Sunday and let's just try to convince everybody that we've got it all together. And he says that what we should do is instead make allowances for one another's faults so that we can talk freely about what we're struggling with so that we can be set free from what we're struggling with. 
Then we get to what I believe is one of the most cherry-picked passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. We like to quote all the passages around it, and then we leave this little part out because it's the stipulations that make all the rest of it work. Those of you that know your Bible, know where, you know where I'm going. I'm going to James. Because James says this. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray. Woohoo! We like that. Call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Then we skip the little part we don't like, and we, we flash forward to this one. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Boy, I can get shouts in Pentecost. Come on, are there any Pentecostals in the room? We love that passage. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. Woo! I love it. I love it. The only problem is, is we skipped over the one another statement, which is this. It's James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The writer understood that confession heals us. If we don't confess, then we cannot be healed. How can we pray in faith if we don't know you're sick? How can, we, how can you be forgiven if your sin is hidden? How can our prayers be powerful and effective if we pray in ignorance? James knew that in order for our circle to operate correctly, it would require safety so that we would be able to look at each other in the face, unmask, say, I'm not going to put my best foot forward. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay bare all of my issues before you, and out of that I will find freedom. He says, confess your sins and your faults to one another. I'm reminded of a story in the, the New Testament where Jesus deals, uh, and I preached about it a long, long time ago, about a man with a withered hand. And I noticed one time that when Jesus confronts this man and is, is, is confronted by this man and, and he's wanting healing, Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. He does not indicate which hand is stretched forth. If he was at Passion Church on Sunday morning and Jesus said, stretch forth your hand, I have, a, I have a sneaking suspicion that most of us in the same condition would have stretched forth our hand that was healthy because we don't want anybody to know that we're sick and that we're broken and that we're diseased. And I am convinced this morning that if Jesus had said stretch forth your hand and the man trying to put his best foot forward, tried to keep his mask on, tried to fake it till he makes it, stretched forth his, his good hand, I don't think he would have been healed. We must come to this place where we're able to confess our brokenness to be healed. If we aren't able to confess to one another, then this is what happens. We will live the rest of our lives sick, sick with shame, Sick with fear, sick with looking over our shoulder thinking that somebody's going to come along that knows what we used to do and expose us for who we really are. We live burdened and vulnerable and we live in open manipulation by the enemy because our enemy is only disarmed when he has no ammunition to use against us.
Um, the other benefit of con confession is this, is it keeps us from sinning. The reason some of us continue to sin is that we won't confess our already committed sins. It, it, it is as our circle hears and handles our sin and our struggles that we strive to dislodge the sin that is apparent in our lives. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor who opposed Nazism. He was involved in plans to assassinate Hitler, and so he gets arrested in April of 1943. He's executed in April of 1945, just 23 days before the Nazis surrendered. And Bonhoeffer said this statement. He made this statement. He said, a man who confesses his sins is in the, present, in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark, but in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. Dallas Willard reminds us, he says this, he says, It is said that confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation. And a bad reputation makes life more difficult in relation to those close to us we all know. But closeness and confession force out evil doing. Nothing is more supportive of right behavior than open truth. If you will be free from sin, you have to take the risk. So my question is this. How is your circle doing in regards to this component right here? My question is, is, it, is your circle safe enough and mature enough to handle your confession? Let's just get really blunt. What, what if the people in your circle knew what you thought about last night? What if the folks in your circle knew what you watched on Friday? What if the people in your circle knew what you said when nobody else was around? What, uh, what, would, what would your circle do if, if they found out that you did what you did? My question is, is, how is your circle doing? You need to do a circle check this morning. You need to find out whether your circle is full of forgiveness or is it full of judgment. You need to ask yourself the question this morning because we need to bring it home to us. As you move in your circle, are you full of forgiveness or have you set yourself up as judge and jury? Because if we're going to operate so, so orbiting around love, if we're going to pull this effective circle off, then the, one of the components that must be in operation is we must be able to confess our sins and our faults to one another and forgive those faults and sins in one another. That's the only way your circle will effectively operate. Our ability to live free and enjoy being forgiven is linked to our willingness to confess. So let me do this. So let's get really practical. I, I just want to mention two ground rules that should be in operation in your circles. In fact, may I just submit this to you this morning. If the people in your circle, though, your homies, your homegirls, your dogs, your peeps, your, your, your tribe, whatever you call them, uh, whoever they are, if they are not operating by these two ground rules, then I submit to you that it may be, in fact, time 
for you to find a new circle. And if as your dogs and your homies and your peeps and your tribe, and as, as they confess to you, if you're not operating in these two ground rules, then maybe you need to confess and get this right. Number one, we must remain conscious of our own need for forgiveness. We must remember that none of us have arrived. None of us are perfect. None of us are not susceptible to falling and failure. It is imperative to remember that as the Ephesian writer gives this coaching moment, he makes this statement, he says, Christ has forgiven you. I'm, I'm concerned that some of us have forgotten that we've been forgiven. We act like we've always been this holy, always been this righteous, always been this anointed, always been this cleaned up, and we forget that Christ forgave us. If we can remember that we have been forgiven, then we can follow his commands to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And I just submit to you that we tend to forget that we've been forgiven much. And we, we tend to forget that, forget that we haven't always behaved and that we always haven't spoken the way we should have and we always haven't acted the way that we should have. We need to remember that because our own arrogance causes us to become an adversary to our circle mates rather than an advocate for our circle mates if we don't remember that we've been forgiven. We must force our circles to become a place of grace where we recognize that we cannot and we will not condemn them. We will love them through this. We will not ignore their sin. We cannot ignore their sin. We cannot participate or stand by when while a circle member destroys themselves so we must be willing to confront in love. But we do that knowing that we've been forgiven. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says this, Brethren, even if, anyone, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So our awareness of our need for forgiveness does not dismiss us from our responsibility to hold one another accountable. But what it does is it forces us to deal with our approach. When we're confronting someone else, we approach them knowing that we too need forgiveness. Richard Foster recognizes this challenge when he said this. He said, confession is a difficult discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners. I think sometimes when we pull up a passion, we think, man, we're, we're here today to worship with all the saints. We need to remember we're really here to worship with all those that were sinners. Sinners saved by grace. There's nobody here that's arrived. There's nobody here that's perfect. There's nobody here that never has a bad day. There's nobody here that always speaks to their spouse right. There's nobody here that doesn't have moments of anger and disappointment and disillusionment. and dis- We have all the disses you can think about. 
And there comes this moment where we recognize we don't hang our head in shame, but we walk in knowing that we have received grace, so we're willing to receive grace. And in our circles, we must be very aware of our own need for forgiveness. And if you're in a circle where everybody treats you like you're less than because of your sin, then you may need to find a different circle and find a circle that's full of grace. Next week, I'm making a special announcement, and this, this truth right here will be increasingly important. We must operate with grace. We must remain aware of our own need. The second one is this, and boy, we got to get this one. We must remain confidential and careful. It isn't surprising to me that most of us seem to be more comfortable with confessing our faults and our sins to a God that we cannot see than we are confessing our faults and our sins to the circle members that we can see. It is no surprise to me that as a body of believers we tend to ignore the instructions of James in chapter 5 verse 16 when he says to confess our faults one to another. That is, I, I'm not surprised for the, by that. I'm not surprised that we ignore that because we have become so incredibly bad about keeping private information private. You can blame it on Facebook. You can play, blame it on social media. You can blame it on whatever you want to blame it on. All I know is this, is that instead it seems that we take pleasure in having information that can and will be used against our circle mates. We wonder why no one will be honest about the struggles and the sin, and yet we become a, 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 a conduit of information rather than being confidential. Listen, if somebody in your circle trusts you with information about things that they've done, you, you've got to come to this place where you're willing to be confidential and careful because they have just shared with you information that could be the, 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 the foundation of their demise, their destruction. They just laid their, They just placed their life in your hands we need to handle that information carefully that's why I've told you that the effective circle requires a long investment of time you have to vet these people that doesn't mean you take them for their shots by the way vet means that you, you try them you test them out not everybody in your circle can handle this. You've heard the statement, loose lips sink ships. They also sink lives. They also destroy relationships. They also produce shame. And I'm here today to tell you that if we are ever going to pull this off, and we've got to pull this off going forward, then it is absolutely essential that we learn how to operate in confidentiality. Confident, confidential and careful careful to make sure that we don't abuse the information that, it, that we've been given Dallas Willard explains this he says confession is one of the most powerful of the disciplines for the spiritual life but it may be easily abused and for its effective use it requires considerable experience and maturity it's expensive time to grow up. 
It is time for us to grow up in our spiritual walk so that in my circle you can look at me square in the eye and say, this is what I'm struggling with. And I look you square in the eye and say, nobody will ever know this but me and you. And they take it to the bank. And I can look at them square in the eye and say, this is what I'm struggling with. And I'm laying bare my soul. And I don't have to go home at 3 o'clock on the afternoon the same day and find it posted all over Facebook. But instead, I know the only place that you're going to take it is to the prayer closet. You're not going to send it to the prayer team as disguised as a prayer request. It's you and me and God. And together, we're confidential and we're careful. And it's a safe place. And we've circled up. And out of that, I find freedom and I find the ability to to dislodge that sin from my life because now I know not only does God know about it, you know about it. And you hold me accountable. We circle up and we carefully share and selectively divulge with very trustworthy people the issues of our life. And in doing so, Here's the the part we don't see very often. We're set free. Jesus saves us. But according to James, we play a part in being free. Maybe some of you this morning are walking around 20 years after you gave your life to Jesus and you were saved, you're still walking around in bondage because you're fighting the stuff that you've been fighting alone all by yourself and nobody knows. I just want to release us and challenge us this morning to figure out how a real circle is supposed to operate and I'm asking you to circle up with folks that you can divulge the deepest, darkest secrets in your life knowing that they will look at you no less than than they looked at you before because they recognize that they are sinners too and that you will recognize that nobody else will ever know but they will beat down the doors of heaven for you. So Father, this morning, this is my prayer. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.